see the church family on the Lord's Day. I want to talk about a topic this morning that the Lord has laid upon my heart that I believe as Christians in America we have a hard time truly understanding it and actually applying it in our lives. We can talk about it until the cows come home, so to speak. But the reality is we have a very difficult time with today's topic and subject and even sermon. When we think of the topic or the word of submission, what comes to mind? That's almost a word that is taboo to even talk about in the culture that we live in. In today's culture, submission is extremely rare and rarely exercised. And when we look at Webster's Dictionary, it defines submission as this, the act of submitting to the power of another. The act of submitting to the power of another. Another definition says meek compliance. This reminds me of a story of a governor who was running for office in the state of Massachusetts. His name was Christian Hurtner. And he was running for a second term, and he was running hard, and he was running after votes, and he was working hard one day, and he didn't eat lunch, and by the time he got to the afternoon, he was hungry and he was famished, and he made his way to a church luncheon or barbecue in that late afternoon. And he was standing in line to get some food, and as he got up to the front of the line, he put out his plate, and the lady on the other side of the table put one piece of chicken. And the governor said, uh, ma'am, is there any way you could give me another piece of chicken? And the sweet lady said, no, sir, I'm instructed to only give one piece of chicken to each person. And so the man says, well, I'm extremely hungry. And the woman reiterated, I'm instructed to only give one piece of chicken. And so the modest governor said, well, ma'am, don't you know who I am? I'm the governor of the state of Massachusetts. So in reading this story, you understand he was trying to push his weight around and use his political clout. And the sweet old lady said, sir, do you know who I am? I'm the woman in charge of the chicken. Move on. <laughs> and so I give you that story because when we think about submission, that's where we're at in most cultures and in most situations and in most families. We're at an impasse. Nobody wants to give of themselves. Nobody wants to submit to the other person for the benefit of the other person. I would argue that this story that I just gave you is not a story or definition of submission at all. But the question we have to ask is, what is the standard of submission? That's a question we need to address this morning. We sing songs as good old Baptists, Southern Baptists, in the hymnal of uh, the, the Red Book hymnal that we have, number 301. The song is, I am resolved, and stanza number three says, I'm resolved to follow the Savior. You know this stanza, right? I'm resolved to follow the Savior. I'm not going to sing it because I want to spare you right now. But it goes on to say, faithful and true each day. Listen to this. Heed what he saith, do what he willeth. He is the living way. And we're quick to sing that song, but very slow to actually apply it. Very slow to actually obey it. And so the real question is, what does biblical submission look like in a gospel-centered church? In particular, I want to address, how does biblical submission look like when it comes to pastors and members of a church. We're in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, entitled Joyful Submission. And you see that in your bulletin. And the main point is this. In a gospel-centered church, members are to let biblically qualified men lead according to the Bible. Let me read that again. In a gospel-centered church, Members are to let biblically qualified men or leaders lead according to the Bible. When we look at the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing about a situation where Christians, to be exact, Jewish Christians are being persecuted for the faith, and they are dispersed. They are scattered 
amongst the region outside of Palestine. Probably some of them are in Italy. And these Christians, they face not only persecution in the past, but at the current time, that modern day. And the danger of being persecuted so much as a Christian, the danger is, this is not worth it. I'm going to turn my back on Christ. I'm going to go back to my old life, my life of sin. But my life of sin was so easy, probably easy to love and hard to hate. But the Christian is tempted to fall away from the faith. Let me just say this up front for the church family. That may be you right now. That you've been beat up by the world, beat up by those who are close and near and dear to you. And you're just tired of it. You want to give in. You want to give up. You want to raise the white surrender flag and just go back to your old life. I want to encourage you with this. If you leave Christ, the one who has the words of eternal life, you lose everything. You lose absolutely, 100% certified everything. Don't do that, dear Christian. Christ is enough. Christ is all. Who else do you have in this world? No one, I would argue. And so the author of Hebrews, he's encouraging these Christians who are tempted to walk away and fall away from the faith, persevere, persevere. And we live in a culture that says, let go and let God. Now, that's not the best language to use, by the way, because every Christian has a responsibility to live for God. God does not believe for you. God does not repent for you. God expects you to know the word and obey the word. You have a responsibility. Yes, God is sovereign. I'm not denying that. That is undeniable biblical fact. God is sovereign in all things. But we have a responsibility to persevere to the end. And so in this context, the church leadership is probably going through a difficult time. They're probably going through some sort of transition. And so before we get to verse 17, I want to bring your attention to verse 7. Because verse 7 and verse 17 go together. Verse 7 says this, read with me, Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The author of Hebrews gives these Jewish Christians who've been scattered abroad a command. He does not say, you can do whatever you want to do and say whatever you want to say. You can live any way you want. No. He says, remember, 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 recall what God has done for you, he's given you godly men. You're to think about that again. The, the, the problem that we see in the Bible, and it's not really a problem in the Bible, the problem is really with us. When what we want are personal preferences and the Bible, when those two collide, the Bible's always right and we are always wrong. And so the reason that the Bible says to remember, to think about, to think about again is because we are forgetful people. We are a forgetful people, and the Word of God constantly reminds us what to do, what to think. And so they are to think again or remember the leaders that they had before. We're talking about first-generation Bible teachers, leaders, pastors. They're to remember them, those who taught or spoke the word of God to them. We're talking about didactic teaching. This is what the word of God says. Thus saith the Lord. Now receive what God has said and obey. And so, what's the idea here? The idea here is that those who teach, faithful men who teach, are to teach right beliefs, right doctrines, that come out of the Bible, not from Hollywood, not from secular authorities, not from institutions made by man. They are and we are to remember those Bible teachers who are faithful with right biblical doctrine. So we're talking about orthodoxy, right beliefs, right doctrine. That's orthodoxy. But also they're called to reflect or examine the life of those who taught them. They are to examine 
the life of those who lead them. They are to look at and examine their overt daily life of Christian leaders, pastors. They're to look at gospel living. They say this, we believe this, and now this is their lifestyle. And so they're to put those two together. Orthopraxy, right living. With orthodoxy, right believing. And so the command is remember, dear Christians, even when you're going through difficult times, remember God has given you help. And many times we want to hear an audible voice from God, right? We want to hear the Gregorian chant. Oh, 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 this is the word of God in Morgan Freeman style, right? We want some sort of voice that comes out of heaven. This is the voice that comes out of heaven. If you want to hear the word of God loudly, then read louder. Read louder. But we are to remember these men. We're to imitate them, as the scripture says, as this verse says. Do as others do. You understand this? We're all in elementary school, in the public school system. A kid says this, the other kid says the exact same word. This kid does this, the other kid does the exact same thing. And what do we say? Copycat. Teacher, he's a copycatter. Right? And we make fun of them. That's what we're supposed to do. Imitate. Copycat those who live godly lives before you. Imitate that holy and godly behavior, not sinful behavior. And so, if you look at the text carefully, it doesn't say, imitate the perfect life of perfect pastors. Praise God, Pastor Corey, Pastor Ed, Pastor Vladimir, right? Because if that was an actual command, none of us would be here. If your hope is in a perfect pastor, then you're misled. Because I want you to know, in our pastor's meetings, when we strive to pray and we pray and we struggle with... Uh, situations within the church life and we're searching the scriptures and we're dealing with difficult challenges the question is are we perfect no we're not don't put your hope in pastor Rolo put your hope in Jesus Christ he's the only perfect one but when we think about this there's no such thing as perfect pastors Unless you want to define Jesus as a pastor, then the answer is Jesus is the perfect pastor. So the idea here is remember pastors who reflect lives of right belief and right living put together. And those are the people that you're to copycat. Those are the people that you're to imitate. I'm sure if you've been a Christian for some time that you've been persecuted at some level for Christ, whether it's at the workplace or the family reunion during Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? And so if you love Jesus, there's coming a point where you're going to be persecuted, rightfully or wrongfully, it depends. But the question is, do you feel discouraged and tempted to leave the faith? If that's you, the scripture says, look to those who can help you. Remember those godly men that have right doctrine and right lives not perfect lives and copy them so now that sets it up for verse 17 look at verse 17 obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you The author of Hebrews is very clear in what he is stating to Christians on what they are called to do. And the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, commands Christians to obey, to submit to who? Their pastors. So one of the challenges of pastoral ministry here is that there are many of you that I would probably define as uh, 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 an affinity 
for celebrity pastors. You understand who I'm talking about. Dr. John MacArthur, Dr. John Piper, Dr. R.C. Sproul. But the Bible, even though those are dear godly men, don't get me wrong, I've been greatly helped by all of those men. But the Bible doesn't say that you are to submit to pastors of other churches. If the Lord has led you here, then the Lord has called you to obey and submit to godly pastors here at this local church. And so when we look at the word obey, we're looking at submit to the authority of another. Submit to the authority of those who provide direction and leadership. We're talking about pastors. Not all over the country and all over the world. Pastors here at the local church. If the Lord decides to move you on to another gospel-centered church, guess what? You're, not, you're no longer under the pastoral authority of this church. You're under the pastoral authority of another church. And that happens. And so we need to think about this clearly. To submit is to obey. And when we think about it, the way that the author is writing this is that it's actually for the church's benefit if they obey godly men. It's for their benefit. When we think of the word submit, it's to obey through submission. We understand that. The idea is to yield to the control of another. I am willfully, not forcefully, I am willfully willing to volunteer and submit my life under the authority of another that God has ordained and placed at this local body. And so when we think about submission, do we think clearly about submission? There's no way around that, brothers and sisters. We all have to submit at some point in this world. Let me give you an example. Ephesians 6, 1 talks about children, they're to submit to who? Their parents. So if my children, the 13th tribe of Judah, I call them the Bernalis bunch, they're not called to submit to you as parents. They're called to submit to me. If my kids act up and you love me, feel free to come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Roller, your kid is acting up. Now, as a pastor, do I, do I love to hear that? No, of course I don't. I don't know any pastor who says, everybody come to me and tell me all the problems of my children. I don't know anybody who would want that. But if you love me and you want to help me shepherd my kids better, then tell me. I don't have a problem with that. But children are called to submit to their parents. Wives are to submit to their husbands. That's Ephesians 5. Wives, you're not to submit to another man that's not your husband. You submit to your own husband that God has put you two together. Husbands, you are to submit to Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11. You can't do whatever you want to do. You are to submit to Christ as the head. And the church, all of us, the gospel-centered church, is to submit to who? Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the one who lived and died for the church. And so we as a church are to submit to him. And so when we think about this, there is submission on every level within our lives. When you go to work tomorrow morning, whether it's the military or whether it's the civilian side, you have a boss. Yes, you're getting paid. You're changing time for dollars, but the fact of the matter is God and his providence has given you a boss, a supervisor, a manager. You have to submit to that. God has given us the government, whether right or wrong. There's many things we disagree with them, but we are to submit to them, Romans 13. So long as they don't cause us or forcefully uh, put their will upon us to violate the holy word of God. We're to submit. And so when we look at this standard of joyful, godly submission, the true model of all of this submission is Jesus Christ. Not us, not our woeful examples, but the perfect standard of joyful, godly submission is Jesus Christ. Because why? He submitted himself to the will of his Father. Christ came 
to planet Earth for what? To redeem his people from the curse of the law. He was born under the law. He fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. He satisfied the law on your behalf because you couldn't do it and I couldn't do it. And yet he goes up on a tree and he dies the most horrible, brutal death, not for any personal sin, but for your sin and my sin. So when we think about that, what Christ has done for us is the model and the standard for submission in all of life. And so when we don't submit to others that God has called us to submit, it's because we have forgotten that Christ submitted to the will of his Father for our benefit. So again, we're a forgetful people. We are a forgetful people. Now remember, dear Christians, remember. John's, John chapter 5, verse 30 says this. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Who said this? Jesus said this. He's not looking to do his own will. He's doing the will of the other, the one of him who sent him. John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If you're a Christian, Christ lived for you and Christ died for you. That was his food and that was his work and that was his mission. And we praise God for that. There's no way in God's green world to avoid submission. There's no way to avoid it. To violate submission that God has ordained is to sin against God. It's to sin against God. So we need to seriously think about what we are doing. If you remember the context, Christians are dispersed, they're being persecuted, they're discouraged, they're tempted to leave the faith. And the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells these dear Christians, these sweet saints in Christ, remember, I've given you an example. Now copy them. Copy them. The solution is the gospel. The hope is the gospel. The cure is the gospel. The answer is always the gospel. And so there's to be gospel living and gospel beliefs put together. And so we're to remember those and imitate their godly lifestyle, not their perfect lifestyle. Not their perfect lifestyle. And so I want to bring a word of caution here. We are not called, and you are not called, to submit and obey pastors blindly. This is not an uneducated situation. This is not to be done in a blinded manner or an ignorant manner. Pastors are not infallible. They're fallible. Pastors are fallible. But when we find pastors who are trustworthy, then submit and obey for the glory of Christ. And when you find pastors that are not trustworthy, then replace them. Don't submit to them. When they violate the word of God, they must be replaced. And if a pastor or a pastoral team qualifies biblically under 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, the biblical qualifications of a pastor elder, and we present those men to you for prayer and for a vote, and we actually go to a members meeting and you vote them in, you actually vote them in, the day you vote them in is the day that you submit to their authority. Well, Pastor Roll, I didn't know that when I signed my name. Well, I'm telling you right now. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. When you are part of a gospel-centered church, God's men are to love you, care for you, protect you, guide you, help you, pray for you, love you. But you're called to submit. The problem is we love to be lone rangers. We love to do whatever we want to do. Say whatever we want to say. Act however we want to act. So if God has given you men and you vote them in, then you're called to submit to them. And when they violate the word of God, they actually 
violate the word of God, then you replace them. And so to my brothers, my pastor brothers, according to James chapter 3, we know that we are held in a higher accountability, a stricter accountability. Why? Because according to James chapter 3, it's because we're teaching the word of God. And if you know anything about us, we take that responsibility seriously. Absolutely seriously. That's why we sing the songs we sing. We're looking for sound biblical doctrine. That's why we pray the way we do. That's why we preach the way we do. That's why we teach the way we do. It's because we're serious about the pastoral, pastoral office. And so, brothers, we need to stay committed and faithful to the Word of God. And church family, I want to encourage you. You should be praying for the pastors. I know that sounds self-serving. But the spiritual, the spiritual struggles are real. The spiritual attacks are real. You should be praying for your pastors. Because when you're a pastor, spiritual attacks don't just go away. They don't just vanish. So the best way to love your pastors is to pray for them and to submit to them as they continue to submit to God's word. So why should you ever submit and obey your pastors? Well, look at verse 17. For they, referring to leaders or pastors, are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Keeping watch. That idea is to take care of, to be proactive in, to look after. The idea is the person who's taking care of another person, the idea is they're unwilling to sleep. They're willing to sacrifice to the point of losing sleep. So when we think of that type of language, especially within a biblical context, we're talking about the work of shepherds. Shepherds, they're out in the cold in the wintertime. They're out in the heat in the summertime. They're looking at the sheep. They're counting the sheep. They want to make sure that the sheep are fed, that the sheep have water, that the sheep are healthy, that the sheep are clean, and that the sheep are following the right person. And so many times to do that amount of extraneous work, it requires a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of discipline. In Acts 20, 28, Paul says to these Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Why? To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. God owns the church. Christ has bled for you. You are no longer your own. You've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are a real family, are we not? Are we not God's family? Are we not an eternal family? Those who believe in Christ, those who have turned their back onto a, on a sinful lifestyle, they love Jesus, they can't go through the rest of their life without holding on to Jesus because Christ is enough and Christ is all. But, the text is clear that these shepherds are to pay careful attention for the danger. They're to be on alert. They're to guard against. It's a constant state of readiness. They're looking for danger. They're looking for dangerous doctrines and dangerous situations. And they're leading the sheep towards Christ. How? Not by emotion, but by the Bible. By the word of God. They're leading them in the right way. And so, when we look at to care for, these are to, to guide and to help or take care of these souls of the members of the church. That's what we're called to do as pastors, is to care for the souls of the people of this local body. We're not called to care for 2.5 million people in Las Vegas. That's not our calling. We're called to care for the people that God has placed in this local church. You know, this week I, I received a phone call. And a dear brother, dear brother in Christ, calls me up and I could tell that in his voice there's a, there's a challenge, there's a problem. And I know he wanted to talk. And he, I, I could tell that it was just bad timing to talk. But he wanted to talk. And you know what? That night, 
even though I didn't know the situation, even though I didn't know the whole story, that night, I didn't sleep. There are things that happen within our church family that keep us up at night. Because we're running a hundred combinations in our mind. Is the family going to stay together? Is the marriage going to stay together? Is there any financial problems? Is there any health problems? Is somebody about to die? Did somebody run away? We are thinking about. And so, praise God, the next day it was resolved. But if you think that past the, the pastoral office is a romantic position, it's a great position, it's a popular position, it's a famous position, you get notoriety and fame, if that's you, don't go into the pastoral ministry. Don't go into the pastoral office. I, w- I would even argue, if, if you have a romantic view of what the pastoral office is and, and you are slightly pulled away by another occupation or a business or career, then go do that other business or career. Don't do this. Don't do this. I say that to spare you. Don't walk into the pastoral ministry. You know, I joke around with Pastor Ed one time that pastoral ministry would be so easy if we could do whatever we want to do. Pastor Ed, and he knows I'm joking. I don't mean that literally. But what I am saying is pastoral ministry is so hard because we have to do what God has called us to do. And it's not easy. We've got to be faithful to the word of God. So when we go back to verse 17, pastors are to watch carefully of the souls of the people that are there because there's a day that's coming that each pastor, when a pastor is ordained, laid on hands, right? After the church has affirmed them publicly, there's a day that's coming for every pastor where they will give an account to the Lord for their ministry. They will give an account to God for their ministry. All pastors have a future appointment with the Lord. And this is a mandatory meeting. It can't be rescheduled, can't be postponed. This is a meeting where every pastor will give an account of the entirety of their ministry to God. If you don't understand what I'm saying, that is a heavy responsibility. And you could, you could shake your heads and say, I understand, Pastor Ola. No, you will never understand. Unless you're in this office, unless you're carrying the weight and the burden of this office, you will never understand the weight of that office. Because we're not called to do whatever we want to do. We have to follow God and obey his word. And so the author encourages these Christians. Let them, you see it in verse 17, let them, referring to pastors, do this. Do what? Give an account to God with joy and not with groaning. Let your pastors give an account to God with joy and not with groaning. Joy is dealing with gladness and happiness. Groaning is the one that is complaining and grumbling. The one that loves to stress people out for the sake of stressing people out. There's deep concerns. There's sighs. And so for those who complain and grumble, the text is clear in verse 17. There's no special benefit to you. It's unprofitable. It doesn't produce anything good to complain and grumble. And I want to say that the word of God says in James chapter 5, in 1 Corinthians 10, that grumbling and complaining is sin. It's sin. And it's unprofitable to do this. Calvin states, it would be unprofitable to the people to cause sorrow and mourning to their pastors by their ingratitude. And he did this, that he might intimate to us that we cannot be troublesome or disobedient to our pastors without hazarding our own salvation. So what's honoring to the Lord? What's honoring to God? The question is, are you joyful to your pastors? Is it a joy? Do your pastors joyfully shepherd you? Or are you a stumbling block because you groan and you grumble and complain? For those of you who are not 
members of First Baptist Church of the Lakes. We love you and we're grateful to God that you're here. But we are not called to shepherd you officially. Why? Because you officially have not said we are placing ourselves under the pastoral authority of this church. We'll shepherd you from a distance. We'll give you good counsel, even biblical counsel. We'll guide you the best way we can. But it's hard for us to pastor you officially in the official sense if you've not given yourself to this pastoral team and submitted to them in an official way. So my encouragement to you is this. Be a member. This is, this is here, here's the sign of God. You ready? You are invited. You are welcome to join this church. That is the sign from God. Right? I know you're expecting some extra miracle to happen. But you're invited to be part of this church. Be part of us. You've been with us for so many weeks and so many months and so many years. Be a part of us. Women, you understand this. What if you have a boyfriend who never wants to propose? Does that boyfriend love you? If he doesn't put a ring on your finger, he probably doesn't love you because he's not committed to one person for life. One. Single men, think about that. So fill out your paperwork. Submit it to Tori or Pastor Ed or myself. And let's talk. Let's have coffee and talk. We'd love to talk to you about this. But for those who are currently members of First Baptist Church of the Lakes, we're grateful to God that you're here. We're grateful that you wanted to be a member and that you've submitted to that. But I also want you to know that we're going to give an account to the Lord for you. We're going to give an account to the Lord for you. Are you going to be the person that we actually have to say to the Lord, you know, Lord, we did our best. We tried our best. We walked them through the word. We prayed for them. We sacrificed for them. And you know, Lord, they, they just grumbled and complained all the time. They grumbled and complained all the time. They're a contentious people. This is a contentious person. He's always looking to rub the fur the wrong way, so to speak. But then there's some of you that will give an account to the Lord that, Lord, this person, this dear brother, this dear sister in Christ was an absolute joy to shepherd. Because when they had a hard time, we prayed for them, we gave them the word, and they obeyed your word. There's nothing greater in the pastoral office than to see brothers and sisters in Christ obey Christ. Being in the pastoral office, I'll be honest with you, is the hardest, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And yet it's the one with the greatest privilege and honor to serve the living king. Especially when we see young brothers and sisters in Christ love Jesus more than anything else in this world. And so for you who are in that category, thank you for being a joy to us. Let me describe the ones who are joyful. These are the ones who are faithful and constant in their attendance. They love God's word. Nothing's going to keep them back from the Lord's day. They're not interested in online church. They want to be with God's people. Hebrews 10.25. By the way, read Hebrews 10.24. That leads to 10.25. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. How are you going to stir one another up to love and good deeds when you don't see them face to face? Be faithful. Be constant in your attendance. Let nothing stop you from coming to God's house on the Lord's day. Come ready to worship the king. You know, Pastor Ed, and I believe Tori, sends out the weekly uh, reminder. Like, here are the songs we're going to sing this Sunday. Here's the text for this Sunday. And so what we're doing is we're giving you advance notice a couple days ahead that read it, study it, meditate, sing some of those songs, get your heart ready. 
Because when we come together, we're ready to go. We're ready to worship the king, the king above all kings, the Lord of all lords. We're worshiping our Savior. Let's go. Let's go. And so what happens is we see some people walk in and they look like they drank a gallon of lemon juice. They're just sour and depressed. Okay, I get it. The world has beaten you up. Come back here. We're going to encourage you in the word again. And then go back out there and be a good witness for Christ. But when we come in here, let's sing with joy in our hearts. He has saved you from his wrath, by his son, for his glory and your benefit. And so come ready to sing the word of God. Come ready to pray the word of God. Come ready to hear the word of God. And when there are times where there are dear Christians that disagree with us. They disagree with me. They disagree with the team. But you know what makes it joyful, even in disagreement, is they disagree in such a way that's still loving, gracious, and kind. They're not looking for an axe to grind. They're not looking to cause disruption and division and gossip and slander. But that doesn't mean that the pastor is always right. We just admitted for the 10th time, we're not perfect. But we are committed and pre-committed to the word of God. See, this pastoral team is not moved from their position by your emotions, your feelings, your opinions, movies. We are only moved by explicit scripture within the word of God or biblical principles. That's the way we are moved. Not personal preferences. And so when there's a disagreement or an impasse, we can still have joy. It's still a joy to shepherd those. Why? Because they do it in the right way. They do it in a loving, gracious way. They still submit to their pastors. They understand their role. They understand their responsibility. You know, one of, one of the brothers that I deeply, deeply miss is Pablo. Most of us know Brother Pablo. If you know Brother Pablo, he loved the Word of God. He was a natural evangelist, a natural apologist, loved Jesus, loved the Word, wanted to tell a, a, a rock, if a rock was listening, right, about Jesus. I mean, he just talked about Jesus all the time. And I love brothers that are crazier than me, right? And so this dear brother, we would have many, many conversations. And he would say, Pastor Roll, this is what I think. And I would hear him out. And I said, okay, let's read some scripture. I said, what's your take on this? And he would tell me, and I said, what's your take on it? And I'd tell him, and we would just come to an impasse. We wouldn't agree. We would actually disagree, but in a loving way. But Brother Pablo, he would always say this, I am a man under authority, and God has placed you there for a reason. And every time I heard that, I wanted to cry. We are people under authority. We are a church under God's authority. We need to keep that in mind. And so those who have personal agendas, those who have personal preferences, it's not a joy. I'm just being honest with you. It's not a joy. And so those who grudgingly obey their pastors in a negative way have a negative effect on the ministry. Because why? By their words or their actions or their no words or their no action, their passivity, their inactivity, their ability to do the bare minimum in church is not a great influence on the church family at all. It's actually a disruption. It's a bad example. Sinful words, sinful actions have consequences. They affect everybody around us. And so I want to quote 1 Corinthians 3, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 17, many Christians misread this verse and misread the context. But the author, Paul, is writing to a group of people. He's not writing to a singular person. If anyone destroys God's temple, 1 Corinthians 3.17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. 
For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So anybody with evil intentions who wants to cause division by gossip or bad attitudes and bad actions that affect the church family, and their goal is to destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. That's a clear, clear text. This is not about suicide. That if I kill myself, something bad is going to happen. Well, probably something bad is going to happen for sure. But this is talking in the context of God's people, destroying God's people. And so these people want their way or the proverbial highway. Check your personal preferences with the Word of God. Screen every thought, every word, every action with the Word of God. Submit your life to the Word of God. And if you're guilty of doing any of this, I want to encourage you to repent. I'm calling you to repent. Ask for forgiveness. Make things right with your brother and sister in Christ. Don't cause any more division. And ask the Lord to help you and to forgive you. And he will. Galatians 5.19 says this, Not the works of the flesh are evident. So we're talking about fleshly people here. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Which one are you, dear Christian? What does your lifestyle exhibit? Do you have right doctrine and right lifestyle put together? A Christian said this once, the cost of obedience is nothing compared with the cost of disobedience. We need to hear the word of God rightly, and we need to obey God. Obey God. So, we're called to obey. We're called to submit to who? To pastors of a local church. So long as they follow the word of God. And so we need to keep this in mind because they're going to give an account. We're going to give an account to the Lord for you if you're a member. If you're not a member, how can we give an account to the Lord for you? How can we do that? And so what will your pastor say about you? Will the pastor say it was a joy? Yes, there was challenges, but it was a joy to lead them to Christ. I hope you understand this. Being a pastor... One of our jobs is to make sure you die well. That you die not in your sin, but you die in Christ. I'm not talking about we're the author of salvation. We're talking about in practical terms. Our job is to make sure that you die well and that we usher you into the gates of eternity. That Christ is all and that Christ is enough. That's our job. Or will pastors say about you, you know what, this person... Never wanted to get active. This person want, never wanted to get involved. This person not, never wanted to know the church family. They never wanted to break bread together. They never wanted to do this together. And more than that, there was gossip and slander and division, which is even worse. So which one are you? Which one are you? If you're guilty of any of that, you need to make things right today. Make it right today. Ask the Lord to help you, and he will help you. Ask for forgiveness, and you will have forgiveness. But I want to give you some practical things to help encourage the pastors. Number one, again, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for us. And number two, be ready to worship the king on the Lord's day. In the 16th century, King Edward VI, he went to a church service on the Lord's Day. 
And when the word of God was read, he would actually stand up in front of everyone as the word is being read. And he would actually take notes as the sermon is being presented. And when he went home, he would actually study his own notes fervently. And he would strive every day throughout that week to apply what he learned into his life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to do that. We need to come to God's house on the Lord's day, ready to worship the king. And learn his word, and when we leave this place, apply his word. Don't start, let go and let God. You have a responsibility before God to obey. 1 Timothy 4, 7b. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's your responsibility. So do the same. Serve in some way God's people. Serve in some way. Bless the church family. Let the church family bless you. And this is all of God's grace. I hope you understand that we are here together to worship the king all by God's grace. Be part of us. Be with us. Let's love one another, as the word says in John chapter 13. And let's serve Christ until he calls us home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us. Lord, this is a hard message, but a needed message. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask you, O God, to forgive us in Christ all over again for the things we think, the things we say, and the things we do that are not right and are sinful against our fellow brother and sister, and more than that, against you. But we thank you that you're the God of mercy that your mercies are fresh and new every single day. And we thank you for Christ and all that he's done for us. We bless you. In his name we pray. Amen.